If you have the Church Bibles, you'll see that today's reading comes from page 1084, and it's John chapter 16, starting at verse 4. So page 1084 in the Church Bibles. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you were filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Phil, very much indeed. Please keep your Bibles open at John 16. And we will, first of all, bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit who inspired it. And we earnestly pray that you would work amongst us tonight as we look at your word together, give us understanding, Strengthen us to apply it, and grant that we may live by your word more and more, for the glory of your great name. Amen. Well, some years ago, I remember hearing a story about uh, a man who had a chauffeur. Uh, This chauffeur worked particularly hard. And, uh, in fact, he, he would be regularly driving this man to his uh, various prestigious speaking engagements that he regularly had. And when this man got there, the man who had the chauffeur, uh, when he got there at the venue, he was always treated with great celebrity. But it was, in fact, the chauffeur who did everything, including providing the notes that the man spoke from. He did a huge amount for his employer, uh, but the man never said thank you to him. One day, the chauffeur decided that it was payback time, and uh, he knew that the man never bothered to look at the notes before uh, going to speak from them, before giving the lecture. He would go into the lecture and he would just uh, carry on. The chauffeur knew this. And so he drove the man to the lecture, uh, the lecture venue, 
with um, little or no time to spare. And he thrust the notes into the man's hand as he got out of the car. And the speaker started with tremendous aplomb. And he finished the front page like this. I will now analyze this fascinating topic under the following seven headings. He turned over, sense of anticipation in the room. As he turned the page, to his horror, there was nothing there on page two at all. It was blank, except for one line which read, you're on your own now. <laughs> well, thankfully, we're not on our own. Uh, but the disciples in this passage uh, are feeling that they are going to be on their own very soon. And they're not liking it. Jesus is teaching that he is going back to his father. And uh, they are reacting with grief. Chapter 16, verse 6, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. They think it's all a disaster. And we can understand that. But it wasn't a disaster, and it's not a disaster that they are facing. Rather, as Jesus says in verse 7, it is for your good that I am going away. It's good. It's better that... Uh, Jesus goes back to the Father, then it would be that he stays uh, with the disciples. It's not a cause for grief, but grounds for rejoicing. But the disciples are still at the stage of feeling, but it would just have been so much better if Jesus could have stayed a little longer. You know, I, like sometimes we find people saying today, Oh, I wish I could just meet Jesus. I mean, if I could meet Jesus, well, then, you know, I'd become a Christian, of course. You wouldn't. But people say they would. Uh, and the fact is that uh, my fond ideas, if I could just have a talk with Jesus, it would put things right, are completely wrong, such ideas. What was needed then for the disciples uh, was the unfolding of the next phase of the plan, the next stage in the, of the gospel being revealed. That was what was necessary. Without that, there would be no gospel. And as Jesus said, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I should have said that there are some uh, headings coming up, I think. Uh, and the second one is the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I'm so sorry. The first one is the Holy Spirit and the departure of Jesus. Because what happens with regard to uh, the disciples and their experience of the Holy Spirit and the way in which God is giving the Holy Spirit to them is very closely linked with Jesus going back to the Father. I remember an illustration of this from many years back, but you may have heard of someone called John Edison. 
John Edison was a children's evangelist, spent his whole life really going uh, round schools and so on, uh, and speaking the gospel to teenagers and children. And he had an illustration for this, uh, the way in which what is happening in that uh, Jesus is going back to the Father and the Holy Spirit is being given to the church. Uh, it was like this. What happens, John Ed used to ask, when a star actor is found for that new TV series? I would better say an actor who, uh, or actress, of course, could be either. Um, I want to say they are relatively unknown at this point. And then a new series comes up, and they are found to be, by the producers, producers, just the person they want. And that person then is taken away from the few, the friends and family, who have been spending time with that uh, actor. Um, he's taken away from the few and given back to the many. When he appears on the TV screen, or she appears on the TV screen, and there they are then, uh, being given to the many, whereas before they only related to a small number of people. And in a similar way, Jesus is going to die, he's going to go to the Father, and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on the many who hear the gospel. That's the stage of the revelation of, sal of salvation's plan that we have reached. The stage that we have got to is that at this time, the Lord Jesus will go back to his Father and uh, the Holy Spirit will be poured out and given to the disciples. Notice, incidentally, before we leave this point, the Holy Spirit and the departure of Jesus, um, notice his patience with them. I mean, Jesus really does know how the plan of salvation is working out. He knows uh, that this is all happening in accordance with God's plan and will. And not only so, but it's also true, isn't it, that he knows what's best for us. Now, he knew what was best for the disciples, that it was going to be best for them that he did go to his Father, so that then the Holy Spirit would be given and Jesus knows what's best for us in our lives, that uh, we may have his grace and help and that our lives may tell for him and make a difference for the gospel. So point one is the Holy Spirit and the departure of Jesus. Point two is the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the world. And this is a very important section here because the disciples presumably were asking some sort of question like what will the Holy Spirit do in the world? If you're going to send us the Holy Spirit, what's it going to be like? What's he actually going to do? Now I realize it doesn't say that they were asking that but uh, John the writer is by implication answering or giving an answer to us uh, with regard to this question of what the Holy Spirit will do. And so uh, the 
question then is, what, what will the Holy Spirit do in the world? Uh, not the sort of question we might have found ourselves asking with lack of understanding, i.e., what in the world does the Holy Spirit do? No, it's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. And, or, or in the case of the disciples, of course, will do. I mean, it's quite complicated, this, in a way, because everything that's said about the disciples is looking forward to the future, to the fulfillment. Uh, for us, that, is, that fulfillment is past, because the Lord Jesus has suffered and died and gone back to his Father and poured out the Spirit. So in a sense, we've got to keep our eyes on, uh, I was going to say, both ends of the wicked. Um, we've got to try and keep our eyes on what is happening and where, where we are, at what stage we are at in the unfolding of the gospel record. So, verses 8 to 11. Verse 8 is a general verse. When he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now notice, that's what he's talking about. He's saying that the world, that's people in general, are going to be proved or shown to be in the wrong. Uh, how is this to happen? It will happen when the Holy Spirit comes, he says to them. Uh, and this is exactly what, uh, how things have worked out. That the Holy Spirit was given, and that when the Holy Spirit was given, people came under a great conviction of sin. And in the goodness of God, people, uh, ever since those early days, uh, there have been times when people have specially realized their own sin and guilt and need to repent and get things right. So the general verse is in verse 8, telling us that this is going to happen when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes. Um, and then the verses 9 to 11 cover three specific doctrines, namely the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of righteousness, and the doctrine of judgment. So, in fact, we have a three-point talk here uh, with an introductory paragraph, uh, a three-point talk covering, covering these uh, three specific doctrines. It's very helpful to see how the scripture sometimes we find sets things out for us in a way that uh, really makes it sort of crystal clear. That's what's happening here. So let's look at uh, this talk that, uh, or, uh, that, that John gives to us here in his account. Uh, and verse 8 says, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. The older version always had, he will convict the world. The Holy Spirit will convict the world. In other words, take it home to people's hearts. We have to say to ourselves, our own so often rather dull minds, to take home to our hearts the fact of our sinfulness and guilt and that we are deserving of God's punishment. And the thing is that getting people to recognize this is very difficult. Uh, one can't just go up to people and say, let me just tell you the following five things and sort of you know, dish out the gospel to them and assume we've done our job. 
No, the fact is, getting people to recognize the truths of the gospel and their relationship to us and ours to them can be very difficult and often discouraging for us finding that there is little or no response. But what you and I cannot do, or do, or rather fail to do, uh, the Holy Spirit can do. I mean, we may argue till we're blue in the face and get nowhere, but the Holy Spirit produces a deep calm and change of mind uh, and a deep conviction of sin. As the Lord Jesus is proclaimed, we find that, as it says in 15, verse 26, he will bear witness to me. I remember a rather vivid illustration of this, at any rate, in my own uh, experience. Um, not a, a, an event of which I'm particularly proud, but one fellow, I think his name was Jamie, he wanted to discuss Christianity. He wasn't a Christian, he was quite clear about that. He wanted to discuss Christianity, and he asked if we could meet in the pub one evening to do so. And uh, I readily agreed. And we had a lively discussion. I mustered my best arguments, but I got absolutely nowhere. And uh, I realized afterwards that actually I, I was using the wrong approach. I was assuming that somehow I could convince him by my arguments that I picked up over years in university and uh, well, I can't say much theological college, theological college, uh, but anyway, um, uh, uh, elsewhere. And I picked up these arguments and I marshaled them all and nothing happened. No way was he convicted about it, of it. Uh, and I realized afterwards, I should have sought simply to point him to the Lord Jesus. If I talked much more about Jesus than about the arguments I was so keen on, I would have achieved much more. So the Holy Spirit waits to convict people, to, to show uh, them the fact of their sin and guilt. And you and I need to trust the Holy Spirit to do that work. It's his department. He will do it. Therefore, we need to pray urgently that he will bring this conviction to the people that we are seeking to win for him. Now, the three points. First, sin, verse 9. Uh, he will prove the world to be wrong or convict the world about sin because people do not believe in me. Now, notice this tells us what sin is. I mean, it's rather different from what the world thinks. What is sin, we ask the world. Oh, I know someone stealing. Yes, thank you. Uh, anyone else? Yes, in the back row. Yes, what have you got? Swearing. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, and then uh, the next person plucks up courage and says, sexual misconduct. Yes, you're quite right. That also is a sin. These things are sins. Stealing, swearing, sexual misconduct. These are sinful things. They are sins. But they're not sin itself. Sin itself, which is a great enemy that has got to uh, yield 
to the Lord Jesus and, deliver, and from which we are to be delivered. Now, that is uh, because people do not believe in him. Sin is such an enemy because sin is directly opposed to Jesus in uh, thought, in attitude, in action, all of it. So that we are not to identify sin itself with particular sins, of which there are many. I mean, I was tempted to read, one, read out one from the beginning of Romans. It's got about 20 different items. They're all listed as sins, and there are plenty more. Uh, no, all these things are simply sins. But sin itself is the rejection of Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And that is the sin which we need to be convicted about and of which we need to repent. So first point, sin. Second point, righteousness. And it seems that this means the contrast between his righteousness and our lack of it. So it says in Isaiah 64, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. Not very complimentary, is it? Especially if we like our clothes or whatever. Um, but the fact is, in terms of being clothed with the righteousness of God, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. But people don't realize it, they won't admit it. The Holy Spirit, however, will show that true righteousness is in Jesus. Uh, Jesus is saying to the disciples, you're not going to be able to see me anymore. When I was on earth, I demonstrated righteousness to you. But now the Holy Spirit will continue this ministry. And that is absolutely vital that he does, because if Jesus isn't around anymore uh, to demonstrate what righteousness is, then how are people to know? They are to know as the Holy Spirit convicts, convicts of righteousness. Then thirdly, judgment, verse 11. And about judgment, or prove they are wrong about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So the prince of this world, which of course is the devil, now at this precise moment, when Jesus is about to be arrested and then suffer and die uh, for the sins of the world and to rescue us from sin and death, uh, that... Um, this is the moment that we have reached, a critical moment in the unfolding of the plan of salvation. And it's coming about through Jesus' death. Let me just read you chapter 12, verse 31 to 33, where there are important uh, verses saying a very similar thing to the conviction of judgment here in chapter 16. And we read, in chapter 12, verse 31 to 33, now is the time, says Jesus, for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So that it would be Jesus' death which defeated the devil, and that death is very shortly to come about. So there, then, are three aspects of the work of the Spirit. 
And you and I need to keep looking to the Lord Jesus to send his spirit to do what he has said he will do. And we need to be encouraged because it really does mean, I mean, if, when we have some plan for evangelistic gospel activity, we, we really can expect the Holy Spirit to be working in people's hearts and minds so that actually the message will go home rather than them sort of sitting there looking bored and not the least bit convicted by the truth that they're hearing. So three aspects of the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the conviction of the world. That's the main second heading. So we come now to the final heading, uh, number three, the Holy Spirit and the completion of Jesus' teaching. The Holy Spirit and the completion of Jesus' teaching. There is evidently more teaching to be given, more than they can now bear, it says in verse 12. This is not because it's becoming really far too long a sermon and uh, ought quickly draw to an end, but uh, until Christ has died and the Holy Spirit is poured out, the disciples will not be able to understand the teaching of Jesus. And therefore, for Jesus to give them supplementary teaching now is not going to work. This is basically, this is what Jesus means, what he's saying. That uh, it's not for Jesus, therefore, to give the supplementary teaching, for the Holy Spirit will do this then, later, for the disciples. And this promise uh, of guidance of the Holy Spirit is a really important one. If you look at chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Notice how the Holy Spirit is defined in these verses. He is the Spirit of truth. This is the most frequent way in which he's described. It comes in every chapter, verses chapter 14 to 16. So, I'll just run through it with you in case you're taking notes. In chapter 14, verse 17, 15, verse 26, and 16, verse 13, which is our passage here tonight. Uh, and they all speak of the spirit of truth. And most especially, uh, verse in chapter 16, where we read, When he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, there's the title, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. So you see, what he's actually saying is quite uh, important that we get some clue of this, understanding of this. What Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own. He won't sort of set off on his own uh, crusade and, and his own activity. No, uh, nor will he make it up as he goes, as he goes along. Uh, on the contrary, the Holy Spirit will hear what the Father and the Son say uh, the Holy Spirit hears this and he himself then teaches it. So the teaching of the Spirit is from the Father and the Son. 
Someone says, oh, do you know, you said to us the other day uh, that uh, I've just discovered a new teaching of the Holy Spirit. I'm really rather excited about it. Are you? I'm afraid uh, if you really think you've discovered a new teaching of the Holy Spirit, it's likely to be wrong or worse than wrong. I mean, all false teaching begins in this way. But the genuine teaching of the Holy Spirit does not begin that way. Rather, it is a further exposition of the teaching of Jesus. Uh, it's like the difference between a radio station and a relay station. The radio station no doubt produces lots of original programs and material of various kinds. The relay station, which is rather like one of those sort of big boxes on a pole. I can actually see one from our house. Um, and there are quite a few around the place. Uh, and there is a relay station. All it does is it takes in, it receives these signals that are coming to it. And it then gives them a boost. So it receives the signal and then sends it out again, boosted. And in the same way, the Spirit, the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit here in these verses uh, is like the relay station which um, they which receives the truth and then sends it out again unaltered that teaching will glorify Jesus because it is from Jesus and it comes with the father's authority uh, look at verse 14 first of all he will glorify me, this is the Spirit, Jesus says, will glorify me. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Very interesting that. It's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The point being that the Holy Spirit's teaching is from Jesus. That's its source and it's very important for them because it's going to make Jesus and the kingdom uh, and the gospel known to them. So uh, the Holy Spirit then gives that teaching which Jesus has caused to be, to be given uh, uh, to the church. So through the, uh, through Jesus, the Holy Spirit will receive it. And then there's this note on the Father's authority in verse 15. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. They're not going to lose out, you see, by Jesus going back to glory. No, they can be sure that they have the true gospel message. All truth belongs to the Father and belongs to Jesus who gives it to his disciples to make known to them. So the teaching of Jesus is complete for us. For them, it would be completed. Uh, for us, it has been completed, at least in principle. Someone may say, yeah, but there are loads of people in uh, countries overseas where nobody's ever heard the gospel at all, and the gospel doesn't even penetrate society. Yes, we know that. But that doesn't mean that there's more teaching from somewhere else to be brought into this situation to change things. What it means is 
that the teaching of Jesus, which is complete in principle at least, uh, the teaching of Jesus, which focuses on the gospel, all this comes from the Father and the Son in the power of the Spirit. And it is through the gospel proclaimed in that way that people will get converted and saved. And you and I can have real confidence because the teaching is complete. There isn't some special teaching of the Holy Spirit round the corner somewhere that someone's suddenly going to uh, try and tell you that they have discovered. No, the Holy Spirit has made it known and we have that testimony in the Word of God. So we have all we need to know, in fact. The departure of Jesus leads to the Holy Spirit coming. The conviction of the world is brought about by the Holy Spirit. And the completion of the teaching of Jesus. I've still got many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That teaching would later be given by the Holy Spirit. Some of us say, is the teaching of Jesus open-ended? I mean, could we perhaps apply it to all believers everywhere? Well, the answer to that is, if we understand what we're saying, then yes, uh, we can. Because you and I are dependent upon the fact that the Holy Spirit's witness has been completed, uh, that the, the Spirit is at work to convict, and the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Um, so we're certainly dependent on that. We live in the power of that situation. Not anything achieved by us, but brought about by God and the outworking of the plan of salvation. All truth was made known to them, but the fact that Jesus has of what Jesus has done through the Holy Spirit uh, applies to us. We inherit it. And uh, we should live in the assurance and strength of it. Now, Tuesday night is our Emmanuel evening. The lovely times of prayer that we have at these meetings. But when we come to pray on Tuesday, will we be really expectant that the Holy Spirit will be at work to answer our prayers and to uh, convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Uh, and are we going to come together rejoicing that all truth has been revealed in Jesus? We have all that we need to know in the Bible. It comes with his full authority. And it is his word from cover to cover. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you went through for us and specifically for this teaching that you gave in the upper room and the way in which you explained the truth uh, to the disciples and the way in which it's so clear that the time of uh, transformation was coming about and the gospel was being revealed and you would defeat the devil on the cross the very next day. O oh Lord, we praise you for these things, and we just ask that we may live our lives by your grace and in your power and be able 
to bring glory to your name. Lord, please use us. We long to see more people get converted. Please use us to win them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.